thanks for joining us again. It's Halloween time. It's our fifth or sixth year, Jared. Really? Yeah. Jesus, I don't know. I think it's our fifth. Longer than I would have expected. Yeah, and most others, I'd say. When we kicked off, I would have said five or six weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We years. sailed past five or six weeks. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> um, this is our fifth or sixth time we've done it on Halloween episode, and uh, tonight's ooh, it's going to be it's going to be a, an interesting discussion, Jared. It's Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. Mm. From 2009. I mean, there's a debate over who's to blame, really, because you, you brought the disc along. There is a story. Oh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We went to yeah. the coast. We were going to do Halloween 4, as promised. We did Halloween 4. We took a Chromecast with us so we could watch other more acceptable titles. The Chromecast mm. didn't work. And the only other thing we had your, left was Halloween. Your fault. <laughs> your fault there. Not you should have tested fault. it before you came along. It is your fault. <laughs> I mean, if you leave that in my hands, it's working when we get there. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so, Guaranteed. So basically Guaranteed. We, we, we had nothing else. <laughs> but we watched Halloween too. Oh, I think it was – I actually – I've developed a theory since. I think it was pre-planned. It was a stitch-up, you The Chromecast was – the Chromecast was fucking no chance, and then you've just quietly mentioned, oh, well, I did bring, I brought Halloween 2 as well. Well, I bought so, Halloween 2 with all, because it had the extras disc for the Halloween. Yeah, so you say. Yeah, and I was so saying, oh, say. the Chromecast doesn't work. <laughs> 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 you think that's how it went down, do you? I think that's how it went down. Well, we've watched it. Was it. A, it was a <laughs> classic stitch-up. Yeah, we've watched it, so... We're going to skip through everything else and go straight to the meat. Here's the trailer for 2009's Halloween 2. You've witnessed the birth of evil. Are you a giant? Now, the secret behind his madness will finally be revealed. Together again. We'll go have some fun. On August 28th, evil is here. He's walking amongst us. Michael is more evolved. Rob Zombie. Sure, I just got a 911 call from your house. Completes his extreme vision of a terrifying legend. Halloween 2. This film is not yet rated. August 28th, everywhere. Halloween 2 from 2009, written and directed by Rob Zombie, who gave us House of a Thousand Corpses. Produced by Rob Zombie, Malik Akkad, who produced the other other Halloween films, 2018 and 2007, and Andy Gould, who produced 31. Stars Scout Taylor Compton as Laurie Strode, Malcolm McDowell as Dr. Sam Loomis, Danielle Harris as Annie Brackett, and Brad DeRiff as Sheriff Lee Brackett. The budget was $15 million, and the box office was $39 million worldwide. Now, a little piece of trivia, John Carpenter was offered a cameo in the film by Rob Zombie, but he turned it down. All right. 
Look, I'm going to go first, Jared. There's a lot to say about this film, and I know it probably has its uh, fans, but honestly, this is an abomination, basically. I appreciate Zombie wanting to go off, off the track and get away from the Carpenter template. I, I totally understand that, but he's just his inability to craft a likable character, the, the awful dialogue, the horrible over-the-top violence for violence's sake. It's just, it drowns the film in like a cesspool. <laughs> it's, it's true. It, it's, it's, it's just so dirty, I think is, is the word I'd use. Even his usual strong sort of visuals that he brings, like even the first Halloween remake he did, there was visually it was quite striking in parts. But that's just mm. jettisoned here. The whole thing's just a chore to sit through. And I'm going to say it's the worst of the series. And I give it half a star. I'm right there with you on half a star. It's funny because sometimes we criticise some of the Halloween movies for being too much like the original. Mm. And we beg for something different. But sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for. This was the one where Rob Zombie kind of just unleashed his vision and was kind of completely freed of the original kind of template, which he, he kind of copied for the first Halloween which, quite frankly, I think was the better part of the movie. I know some people disagree with that, but as soon as you got rid of the, the, the bloody generic backstory of Michael as a child, I think that was actually where you got some of those strong visuals and stuff and some of the parts of the original that I actually didn't mind. Yeah, agreed. But this, this one is where he got to just go nuts and it just doesn't fit anything that I want from the Halloween franchise. Michael is brutal, but he's just, it's not scary. It's it's just feels like just violence for violence's sake. As you said, there's not a likable character amongst the piece. I mean, Loomis is just a disgrace, <laughs> an absolute disgrace. And Laurie, I don't know if this was his portrayal of somebody dealing with trauma, but it was just like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer, if that's what it was. Like, it's it's about as subtle as that. Like, her her incessant screaming and yelling and stuff like that, it just... I don't know. I don't know whether he was trying to go for some, oh, you know, this is what someone someone's life would look like if they actually went through a trauma like this. But even then he misses the mark because it's just so, oh, I, there's just no subtlety to it. There's no exploration of her. She's just yelling at people and then drinking and that's it. Mm. That's that's not an exploration. That's not a deeper representation. We, I think we said it about the first one too, but when Brad DeRiff is the most well-adjusted, normal <laughs> loving character in the movie, things are a little off. <laughs> and I, I love Brad DeRiff and I think he's actually really good in it, but I just don't understand Rob Zombie's world or his view of the world, that he has to craft these characters. Yeah, I don't know. There's just nobody to get on board with. And I know some people feel like you don't need to be on anybody's side but even when you've got a flawed protagonist, there's something that you can relate to. There's something you can root for, and there's just nothing here. Yeah. So, yeah, half a, half a star for me. Yeah, and looking at flawed protagonists in the Halloween series, I mean, look no further than H2O or 2018. 
for a better representation of that. Neither of them are great by any stretch, but they're certainly not this. I mean, yeah. this is this is going to be hard. I've actually got some likes, which surprised me because yeah, I got a I um, was initially thinking there is no. I, I remember watching it the first time and just being, "This is fucking a disaster." I, it's obvious. I still feel yeah. that way. I, I feel even more strongly about how much I dislike it this time around because even the violence I, I was looking at, and I remember when we were watching it, and we were just kind of like. There is just nothing interesting about this. Nothing. Like, he stabs people like 50 times, and I'm just like, I got sick of it after the first time you you stab somebody. It's just lunacy. Like, it just goes way over the top. And there was no suspense, you know. He was just there, and then he was just destroying somebody. Yeah. And so those things kind of played into how I felt this time and the whole idea that I feel dirty watching it. Like, I thought I needed to shower <laughs> yeah. after, I'd, after I'd watched it because I'd been rolling around in a pool of muck. Well, you, you, it's one of those ones where you pause it after 10 minutes and then you kind of you wander over to your windows and you just check that nobody's peeking in. <laughs> is anybody, look, is look, anybody it's not French aware that I'm watching this? <laughs> It's not the human centipede. (laughs) Yeah, if someone came in, I'd be embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. When somebody comes in and goes, what are you watching? You go, oh, I'm just watching Adam Sandler's latest. (laughs) Um, It's called Hubie Halloween. You should check it out. All right, let's get into it. There is a couple of likes for me. I think Michael looks good. When in those opening sequences at the hospital where he's in his boiler suit and the mask and everything, I think he actually looks really good. Um, and Tyler Mayne's a sizable guy, so it gives a real sort of intimidating look that I like. Yeah, and I know I know some people are not a fan of Tyler Mayne. They, they kind of find that that fits in with Zombie's whole thing of, oh, you know, to make him scary, I just make him a huge monster. But taking that out of it, I actually, I agree. I actually think he's all right as a Michael. He just, the way that he is, he is advised to play it is is not no. good. But the the small moments where you get him kind of, you get a little bit of the classic Michael. You see him kind of standing in a shot before he goes to get someone, and the way he moves and things like that. I, I'm okay with how I feel like he could have been a good Michael if it was played in that classic kind of. Boogeyman style. Yeah, well, I think what the the problem with Tyler Mayne is is that he you're entering Jason territory. His size, well, his bulk. Is, his it's not even aggressive it's not even nature. Jason. It's 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 just like I mean, we're we're well past Jason. We're just he's just a brutal monster. Mm. It's it's almost it's bordering on torture porn, you know. And that was the thing about Michael. He was he was just a normal looking guy. You know, he wasn't a huge, huge muscular person. Like in the first film, he's just an average-looking size guy, and he's I, kind of trim. Yeah, and that that brings a bit more of that whole kind of, and what they were going for in the first Halloween was, you know, the 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 monster in the suburbs type of thing, and that that yeah. worked. And I'm not saying you can't twist that a little. I'm not saying you can't have Tyler Mayne play Michael because I thought he did all right in the first 
the the 2007 version. I actually yeah. thought he was all right, but this is just ludicrous. And well, when you see this, it's like, why is did you make it Halloween? I know we want twists on things, but there's a point where you just go, this isn't actually any relation to the the movie other than name. And that's what I felt like with this Michael. I'll get to a dislike about Michael that I'd forgotten all about until we we, we put it on again and I realised, oh, my God, I can't believe they've done this. But, look, he looked pretty good in the opening scenes. I'm actually going to go a step further. I didn't mind redoing him with, like, the, the hooded jacket sort of thing. I hated the mask. I hated that the mask was all kind of broken up and that he had the beard and stuff. But I've actually got a, you know, I've got a couple of, you know, as we've mentioned before, being a bit of a collector and collecting kind of action figures and things from these movies. Yeah. I've got a couple of Michaels from this movie, and they're actually really cool. I think I'm pretty sure I've got one of them where it doesn't actually have it's got the hood, but it's more like the classic mask. It's not all torn and it doesn't have the beard. Yeah. And I, I actually love it. I think it looks really good. And it, it, there was fleeting parts where I thought that kind of hooded hooded look was actually all right. Again, what it starts to represent and, and you know, when boxcar Michael starts fucking making his way across the country, <laughs> I have different feelings about that. But, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. But – he looks okay throughout the film. There are moments when, whether it be in his normal classic visage or that hooded look, he does look okay. Yeah. Brad DeRiff is is pretty good. He's really good. The guy's an outstanding actor. Yes. There was actually kind of moments of sadness and moments of kind of heartfelt sort of, you know, when he's trying to connect with the kids and he's talking about how he's old, a bit older and starts bringing up. I can't even remember what he brought up, but it was like – some bloody music he used to listen to or some something like that. Mm. And it's the only moment where you're kind of, like, invested. Yeah, it's the only moment when the, the girls seem normal. Yeah. You know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't go further than that, and that is a two-minute sequence. But overall, yeah. he is very good. He, he deserves yeah. a better film. He does. And I actually, I'm actually going to put Danielle Harris in there too. Yeah, look, Daniel Harris because was all right. she was she was toned down from the last film, and in a way, she was actually more like you know taking away names from the characters and the roles and whatever. Her persona was more like I would have imagined the final girl. Yeah, and honestly, I would have preferred Danielle Harris as Laurie Strode. Well, she was a far more likable presence in this movie. I was actually, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I was actually more invested in her than I was in Laurie. Yeah. And that may have something to do with, um, you know, it's a smart casting. You've brought back, this is one thing I, I will give Rob Zombie a lot of credit for. The guy knows who people will, will want to see in, in these sort of things. He understands Danielle Harris's sort of legacy in the Halloween series. So bringing her back was a wise move, and I felt she was more likable this time around. I didn't actually, I didn't, didn't, yeah, I, I thought she was pretty good. Yeah, she, look, she's always a, always good to see in these sorts of films, and I think it would have been nice to see her as Laurie Strode as almost like a nod to the fact that she played Laurie's daughter. 
mm. in the others. It's good to see her though. She's always, uh, you know, welcome in these sorts of films. I, I had two other things, minor things. I I had to laugh when the sheriff tells his deputy to go out and keep an eye on <laughs> Annie, and his response is, "Oh come on, sheriff! Last time she kicked me in the balls." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I thought that was rather amusing. I also laughed a lot. It, it was the only time when Loomis's kind of asshole persona actually got got a good uh, good result was when he's signing the books and that bloke starts kind of asking him to sign on the bloody bringer of death or whatever he calls him. And then they shuffle him off and Loomis kind of turns around everyone else and goes, well, there's always one, isn't there? <laughs> and starts <laughs> yucking it up. <laughs> like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, that was but, yeah, that was when Malcolm McDowell, uh, he delivered that line with a plum, I would say. <laughs> yeah, well, the less said about the rest of his performance, the better, I think. Yeah, and yeah, he true. would probably not particularly consider this one of his better works. But that was think, a good. Move. I wouldn't think so. No. Yeah. The only other thing for me was the the, the the big Halloween party. Good idea, and there's at least a little bit of Halloween atmosphere there. Yeah. You get a sense of Halloween. The night. But yeah, I actually did enjoy that and I like things like bloody what what are they called? Captain Clegg or whatever he was, like yeah. the, the themed rock band and that that could have could have been really good. Yeah, agreed. I didn't have anything else. No, that was it. That was it for me. That's it for you. Really stretching it there. Alright. The whole film looks like it's shot through the bottom of like a coffee cup. It's it's muddy, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's kind of like the colour's been leached out of it. Stylistically, it's a shit choice. Mm. You know? I understand trying to get kind of gritty. It, it doesn't work. It just makes it even more kind of scuzzy, I guess. Yeah, especially when, you know, you look at some of the others and the way that it's done is Michael ends up looking kind of ghostly, almost like an apparition sort of sort of thing in certain scenes, whereas, yeah, like you said, in this one, he looks like he's just climbed out of a bloody dumpster. Yeah. And look, I said it before, Zombie has has good style as a director. Like, he's showcased he can do things stylishly, but he just he just jettisons it here. Like, it is a workmanlike mm. effort at best. Uh, and as I said, the style and the look of the film just don't work at all. Certainly for me, I just felt like, oh, well, you know, it just feels really t- perhaps too gritty. Yeah. There's also a lot of shaking camera work and, like, it, it, it's almost like he decided he wanted to go in a totally different direction f- from story to the look of Michael to even his directorial choices from the, the previous yeah. film. And I don't yeah. know, that, that just seems like a real poor choice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what – I mean, I know he's come out since and said he, he had a real hard time working on the movie, but – Maybe he did. I don't know whether that's got something to do with it, whether he, what, he just wasn't invested or what. Something like House, House of a Thousand Corpses. I don't, I don't like that movie, but there is certainly things I can see in it that I think – work really well and I especially some of the visual elements and I feel you know I, I can understand why certain people 
gravitate towards it. This one, uh, this, I just don't find anything in it. No. And look, I give credit where credit is due when it comes to Rob Zombie. I don't think he's a good writer, but I, 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 I feel as a director, if you got him the right material, you could get a quality picture. You know, like yeah, I, agree. I, I think directorially he would be a good, a decent choice. Like every single time we talk about the bloke, it's yeah, it's the same message. We're on the same page there. I just think I, I would just, I'm still waiting for the day that he will just allow somebody else to write something for him and then then direct it because I just, I agree. I think his writing is just terrible. Yeah, his writing is way off, but directorially he can be, he could be a really good choice. He understands horror. He's a fan. He's got links with, you know, like rock music and all that stuff, and they usually go hand in hand. He obviously has a bit of a affinity for good casting, um, especially genre casting. So there's, there's, there's ingredients there. But this is just, he, he just seems way off base here. And maybe it was mm. because maybe he was feeling pressure. Maybe he wasn't invested. Maybe yeah. he was just doing this because it was a paycheck and it was an obligation and he just he wasn't getting what he wanted and he just did what he needed to do to get it get it done. But yeah. it's not yeah. good. Yeah. We talked about brutal violence. It's just too prolonged. I mean, there's one where he stabs Octavia Spencer to death. It fuck mm. it goes on for about a minute. And, yeah, yeah. And look, I I'm not against violence. Some would say, like Paul are Verhoeven, you, you I like, like violence. Paul Verhoeven? Yeah. But not like that. I like violence. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, know what, I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> oh, look, that was, uh, yeah, it was quasi-European. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about the best that I could get. Yeah. I mean, it's not, a, it's not as bad as our fucking Sean Connery's. <laughs> Which is certainly not up to scratch. Yeah, the violence is just—it's just over—it's just just too far over the top. Yeah, and as I I think I remember, we spoke about that particular scene. The prolonged violence—it's never what made Michael scary, and it's the like that scene in it is is kind of the perfect example of why Michael just doesn't work in this movie. It's like the scariest part of that scene is Octavia Spencer turning around and then, you know, screaming. Yeah. That's it. That, that's the kind of shock. Like, she turns around and kind of just gives you this kind of disorientated look and then starts screaming and the blood and everything. That's what gives you the shock. And then the brutal nature of it past that, just, that doesn't work for me. That's, we've, I felt like we've already got the scare. You didn't. You didn't need to go that far. And as you said, it was just kind of like, "Are we done here?" Yeah. And it it never stops throughout the film. Mm. He doesn't take a less is more approach to a couple of the kills or something. He just yeah. goes overboard. Everyone just gets hit or stabbed multiple times, or their head kicked in, or you know, like yeah. Why? Why does it have to be so? Brutal, like, what are you trying to ascertain from this? You're not trying... If you're telling me it's scary, you're wrong, because mm. it's not. Are you doing it to to shock us? It's not shocking enough. 
So it's not three people stitched together ass to mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's shocking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we wanted to go that far. <laughs> I know. I'm not saying we want him to go that far, but I'm talking about <laughs> shock value. Yeah, yeah. Right? I get what you're so saying. So it's not working if you're trying to scare us yep. with it. If you want to shock the shock value, it's not shocking enough, I guess. So what is it? Mm. Like where does it sit? I can't tell you. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> it's, I'll tell you where it doesn't sit on on a list of my recommended films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same with me. <laughs> you talked about PTSD, the idea of PTSD and and sort of exploring Laurie. Which you know what, I could have got on board that. Yeah. If it was done with some nuance and some character. Yep. I could have got behind it. Again, I'm not knocking him wanting to go kind of left of field. Mm. Because we, as you said, we've talked about this before, you know, in a franchise that's 10 movies deep, sometimes you think to yourself, Jesus, you're just doing the same thing, right? You, there's two ways of doing it. You can do it the same sort of thing, but do it well. So... 2018 mm-hmm. Halloween comes to mind for me. Yeah. It's it's not breaking any new ground, but it does it well. I had a lot more time for that than I do for this. Yeah. Or you go off the reservation, but you, you do that, you do something interesting with it. And because this is so badly written, Laurie, as you said, just comes across as a screaming pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, like, all she does is scream and yell. Yeah, I don't feel there's any exploration in in that, in what we got. I didn't feel that was exploring her character at all, exploring the PTSD or delving into it at all. Exactly. I mean, forget Ted Hollister. Laurie Strode's the biggest arsehole in Haddon. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And, I mean, Ted Ted Hollister was dealt with quickly. We didn't have to listen to him. (laughs) Yeah, he was put out of his misery. (laughs) He he didn't even get a chance to say hello before he was fucking gunned down (laughs) unceremoniously. (laughs) I'm just sleeping here. That's all he wanted to say. (laughs) Yeah, stop making all that bloody noise, would you? I don't know why they had to be so painful to 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 watch. Like there was there was just wasn't any single moment that I could point out in the movie where I felt like I'm getting a look into what is twisting Laurie up about all this. Like what, what she's nothing where you could look at it and say, I'm feeling for her or, or I'm, I can understand why she's doing that. So that's why yeah. I feel like it just wasn't explored. It was just her yelling at people. And I can understand that. Yes, she would, she would be in that state. She would have, if she had some leftover issues, you might have these kind of these, these instances where you're struggling with it. Like I said, there was never any any exploration of it, and it just it just it was hard to watch, as you as you pointed out earlier. But Jared, for me, the best protagonists in these films are the tough ones, are the ones that go toe to toe. You know, like Ginny in Friday Friday Two or Laurie Strode, or the ones that take them on. Laurie Strode in this does fucking nothing. Well, this is the thing. Zero. Like, 
I, I, I guess, well, I feel like maybe Zombie was trying to make his point of difference in, in almost that exact point, that we don't take the time to look at them and we don't take the time to say she wouldn't be up for it because she's suffering trauma. But he didn't do it very well. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to the ending later. But again, I'm just looking at it and thinking, yes, you could have explored her PTSD, but she could have found some fucking balls she, and banished this guy. Isn't that how we come, come full circle on it? Well, even then, like, I, I feel like in 2018 it was similar in that she was obviously suffering the effects, but she didn't banish him. You know, she dealt with him, but the problem's not gone and her issues aren't gone from it. No. So I, I feel almost like Zombie was trying to go a similar direction, but I just I couldn't say. But it was ham-fisted. Sure. Yeah, I couldn't say for sure because I, I really, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I mean, that sequence where she's in the psychologist's office basically begging for drugs like, and fucking screaming like the queen of the harpies. I was like, this scene could have been cut entirely. Yeah. It is an absolute waste of celluloid. But isn't that just a, isn't that also just a, a, not representing something like that is one thing, but aren't you doing as big a disservice by representing trauma like, oh, she's had some trauma. She must just, she just wants a handful of drugs and a bottle of piss. She screams. Drinks, says fuck, 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 fuck about 55 million times. Yeah, which which makes her indiscernible from anybody else in a Rob Zombie movie. Exactly. So I don't really know what he was I, – I, I think, yes, I think you might be correct. He was trying to place it similarly, similarly to what they did in 2018, which was Laurie had major problems and they would not go away. But I guess what I mean is – she faces Michael at the end. Yeah. And they have it out. And I just felt that this ends on such a whimper with nothing happening. Yeah. And nobody to root for. So who are we rooting for? Are we rooting for Michael? Because once he stabs the fifth person about 500 times, I've, I've, given, it a, I've given up on him. In some ways, I feel like yes, because of the bloody knight in white satin the white business. Horse and the- <laughs> the white horses. <laughs> oh, can we just get onto that for a minute? Uh, like, can we not? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that reminds me of the worst parts of the original. Like, all you're doing, you're bringing up, and it, he did it in the intro too. The intro reminds us of all the young Michael storyline, and I just felt like. You could have not showed that and you would have kind of divorced us from what I felt was just so bad about the first one, like that you, you had to tell us that the, the boogeyman had a, had a rough childhood. And so when we start getting the bloody horses and shit and this, this connection to Michael's bloody seemingly kind of attraction to his mother and... Yeah, all this sort of stuff. I was just like, no, just leave that behind because it all. I, I didn't want any of that. Because isn't so? Doesn't someone make a comment about that? Doesn't Loomis make a comment about you know that he loves his mother or you know 
something of that nature, and I'd forgotten all about that. And I, I mean, I've, like, oh. I've tried to scrub it from memory, but it was certainly made pretty clear at some point. I think she even says it at some point, doesn't she, in her in her spectral visions? Maybe. Appearances. Jesus Christ. And this is the thing, like, when when he has to bring his wife back into a role in the movie, He'd already killed her off in the first one. It just feels like she's got to be in every one of his movies. I don't know. Again, it just felt like a half-baked idea. Oh, where, where am I going to put just her? I'll make some visions of her. Put her in as a cameo. Yeah. Like, if you need her in there, just put her in, in the as a cameo in another role or just that bit at the start. Mm. Look what you did with look what you did with the bloke that played the security guard. You had him dressed up as one of those cronies at the Halloween party. You could yeah. have done that with her too. It's yeah. all in the face paint and everything. The problem with all that white horse stuff was it was just too too far out of of the Halloween universe. Well, of all the things, of all the ideas we've I, I've felt like would be pretty cool to explore, I've never felt like let's go into Michael's <laughs> head and really unpack what's going on in there. <laughs> I think that's kind of the completely the opposite direction of what the whole character, what made it successful was that we didn't, I mean, we've said it so many times and so many people have said it, but we didn't know. And that's why it was scary because essentially he had become, like you said, he was a representation of this danger in the suburbs. He was a boogeyman. He wasn't. So when we start going into all the, Bloody, I mean, even the man in black and the curse of thorn, they they kind of tried to explain why he was doing what he was doing, but even they weren't silly enough to go into his head and start unpacking, you know, what's what's happening inside there and what he's thinking. Honestly, the curse of thorn and the man in black looks reasonably lucid comparison <laughs> <laughs> to this stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, this stuff was just way off the reservation. Mm. I kind of get what he was trying to do, but it's just so poorly kind of realised that you can't get on board with it. Well, can you enlighten me? Because I don't get that. <laughs> well, I guess, again, we were trying to – you they pointed it out several times in the film, and, yeah, the connection to his mother and young him, and he kept sort of seeing himself with – yeah, the the older Michael standing with young Michael and everything like that. Mm. Okay, but I guess the way it was represented and the number of times it was on screen. I mean, my God, like we didn't need it <laughs> coming up every five minutes. Oh dear. And, and it gets to the most ludicrous point near the end, which I'll get to involving Laurie, which I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into a bit further in. The acting, we talked about Danielle Harrison and Brad Dourif being solid performers. The rest of them are god-awful, I well, think is a pretty fair look, assessment. He's actually, he's got some good actors, but I just they're just made to play such scummy, insignificant sort of roles that you can't really give anyone points for it. Yeah, but then again, look. Let's look at two two mains. I mean, Scout Taylor Compton is just terrible. Yeah, but it, see, this is where 
Is that her fault? Well, I think some of it is. I, you know, she's I not an I experienced you, actress. Well, but I but don't think you turn up. The script gives her nothing to work with. See, here's the comparison I'll make. Malcolm McDowell. Good actor. We know he's a good actor, but he is just a rambling fuckwit in this movie. So I look he's at six that, feet of spam. I look at that and I think <laughs> Scout Taylor Compton was just told to fucking yell like a banshee the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think it's fair to say perhaps it's not necess- the performance is terrible, but but whether or not ninety percent of that is is what. The script is giving you. Well, the script and the direction and, this, and the... Yeah, it's not giving you anything to work with. So she can't even grab onto some nuance or play it slightly differently or whatever. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty fair to say, you know, if, if you're using the Malcolm McDowell comparison as he's he's a good actor who looks like shit <laughs> in this role. Yeah. Well, he yeah. does. Yep. It's possibly not necessarily... The actor's fault. I think yeah. there's got to be a little bit there, but yeah, you might be right. Well, it's the Direction. old adage. It's the old adage, mate, that you can't polish a turd. So <laughs> you've you have given them something, and they can only do so much with it. Yeah, I mean, Loomis. Loomis is just a an absolute piece of shit. And we spend yes ninety percent of his screen time screen time with him having fucking nothing to do with Michael or Laurie. Yeah, I even posited why wouldn't Loomis have stayed in touch with Laurie? Maybe, and then that's where a connection could have been. Well, he's he, the whole time in the movie he's he's on a press tour, and he's fucking blowing up deluxe whenever anyone has the hide to say you're a piece of shit. Because you're fucking, you're, you're profiting off people's misery, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, at, at, at you know the very death, he has an attack of conscience or something. Like he's not, yeah. he's, he's got nothing to do with anything. Well, speaking of profiting off misery, um, Miramax and Co profited <laughs> off my misery with this shit. <laughs> I mean, they still made thirty nine million worldwide. Yeah, well, they profited off your misery in the theatres, and then you, you, um, in, a, in a fucking haze of misery, purchased the box set as well. So they've profited <laughs> off you a couple of times for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they saw me coming. I purchased. I must say, I purchased. Um, even after having seen the film, I grabbed a bloody three disc edition of the first Rob Zombie Halloween. So I, I Jesus. should be fucking ashamed of myself as well. I'm gonna get to one. Particular sequence, and look, we're kind of backtracking a little bit. You know, oh, look, so we're jumping around a little bounce bit. around at will. Yeah, I I never ever want to see that sequence involving those two coroners ever again. No, I think that is one of the worst sequences I've ever seen in any horror film. It's poorly written. It's everything about it is just sick. The whole thing is just a fucking disgrace and should have just been removed. Yeah. You know, from these two scumbags talking about wanting to have sex with a corpse to hitting a cow to stop the van. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I forgot about that for a brief second. <laughs> oh. 
is this God. what we're really doing? I mean, again, was this a meant to be a dream? Because doesn't then Michael attack her at the hospital after that? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure that part wasn't wasn't meant to be a dream. I wish it was a dream for me personally that I'd never seen. And again, it's two solid actors. Yeah. Decent actors. I mean, like I've I've watched Deadwood, and the one bloke there that played Charlie Utter in Deadwood, he was such a like his character in Deadwood had so much heart, and he was kind of you, you were always on on his side, and to see him sitting there in this fucking conversation about this corpse and what Richard Brake's character is discussing is just it's fucking embarrassing. Honestly, if I had signed up for this role, I would have just said to 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 Rob Zombie, like, why? Tell me why before I actually go and do this on on camera. Give me a good reason why this is in the movie. Because yeah. I just I can't see it. Maybe I'm missing something. You need to explain it to me because I I can't go and fucking carry on with this bullshit. And then, yeah, to top all that off, after having a conversation about wanting to sleep with a corpse, hitting a cow, and then to have the coroner who talks mostly about wanting to have sex with a corpse lay there in the front of the car and just scream, fuck, 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 as Michael comes out and saws his head off. Mm. Again, it was just another thing where... I was just thinking, when is this going to be over? Now, I'm a little bit hazy on this. I know we only watched it a couple of weeks ago, but as I said, I've tried to scrub it from my memory. I've tried to give my fucking my brain a fucking shower after watching this, this film. But I, I, I recall that we had a discussion about when we watched it, I felt like there was something in that scene that was a pretty clear... Uh, message from Zombie about his vegan lifestyle. Yeah. I can't recall exactly what it was, but I just remember something about the cow and what goes on afterwards where I was just like, oh, well, he's kind of trying to parallel the whole meat thing, like giving giving one of his own personal messages in the movie. Mm. I can't remember exactly yeah, what I it don't, was. But- I don't remember what we discussed on that. I mean, all I know is he, they hit a fucking cow. Well, the avenue for doing it didn't uh, succeed in, in getting to me and making me reappraise my views, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. But overall, that sequence has no bearing on anything other than Michael's escape. Yep. And why is it always a van? Cutting the sky <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. Unshackled. Yeah. Again, I, we said it when we were watching Halloween 4. At the minimum, put him in the genital cuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do something. Try something. Make new. him work. Yeah. <laughs> Make him work. I mean, put him in a game. fucking put him in a fucking steel box or something. We'll try put try something a, a little jacket. different. Put him on a train in a heavily armored car or something. I don't know. Man, Jesus Christ. Look, I never want to see that sequence again. And I say that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you said that not too long before we watched it. <laughs> I did. And I, it seems there's a fair bit of deja vu. Most episodes I'm saying, I don't ever want to watch this movie ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Hobo Michael. Mm. You know, the, the adventures of Michael and Otis. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, bloke, the bloke seems to be wandering the plains. Uh, yeah. You once told me, you once said to me, you don't want, you don't need to see the Punisher making rent. Well, <laughs> subsequently, I do not need to see Michael Myers walk across the state. <laughs> I mean, especially the look, the look of him too. If he, if he'd have broken into a trot, you'd have sworn it was Forrest Gump all over again. Like, <laughs> And I was running. <laughs> it felt like he was doing that for quite a while too. Uh, and the thing about it too is they keep showing his face in full. Mm. And this was the thing that I had forgotten all about. I thought the hood, had, they, they, they kept shooting him from a distance or the hood was covering his face and everything. But there are numerous scenes where he's just standing there with his big bearded head hanging out. <laughs> And I'm like, bravo, yeah, yeah. great way to take away the mystery of the guy. Much like we don't need to see the Punisher making rent, we don't need to see the boogeyman oiling his fucking beard. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to see that either. Like there's just things that we don't need to see. Exactly. And watching Michael walk across the county line. <laughs> but the other thing that gets me about this too is like you look at the station wagon in the original. You look at the little part in Halloween 4 where the ambulance kind of shows up. Why are you looking at that and going, meh, that didn't work. We'll do something different. We'll we'll show Michael on foot the whole time and we'll just keep cutting back to him fucking wandering through fields. Yeah. But, again, where's the suspense, the scares, the idea that he's hovering somewhere close? Hmm. It's not non-existent. No, that's right. And we we had this conversation after we watched it. It doesn't all fall at zombies' feet, and I'll tell you why. Because somebody had to have read his script and said, yeah, this is okay. A producer, I just can't see how anybody who's producing these films, Halloween films, so I'm probably pointing the finger at Malika Card. You have produced these films and your father has produced these films from the get-go and you think this was a good idea. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I get get the feeling it was kind of like it was about dollars and cents because they were saying, well, the first one was very successful. Yeah, so we'll just let you go with your ideas on this. And and look, the man was one for one on Halloween pictures. So they're probably saying, okay. It seems that people like Rob Zombie's style and he's and he's and where he wants to go. Let's just let him go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you need to rein that in. If if you're a producer of any worth their salt, you are reining that kind of garbage that we saw in the first few minutes from the two coroners, you are having that cut out. <laughs> well Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, this is why I can't see, again, Rob Zombie talks about how he was he, he had a hard time in this one, and I probably need to go back and revisit why exactly he feels that way, but it seems like you got what you wanted. I can't, I, I don't imagine that stuff was in the script notes. Yeah, well, I'm. Uh, that comes from Rob I'm, Zombie. I, 
I mean, looking I at like everything hear... else he's ever done, that dialogue comes from Rob Zombie. We know that. I'd like to dig a bit deeper and just get a sense of what he meant. Yeah. Was it was a studio interference? Was he being pressed to put this out? Was he being hassled? You know, had he lost interest in it, but he was forced to make the second film? If you know what I mean. I feel like, like it was, was he more, contractually. I feel like it was more that, like a contractual obligation, because I can't see anywhere in this movie that doesn't have Rob Zombie's stamp all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And whether he he's contractually obliged and he didn't really want to do it and he just kind of poops this out <laughs> to <laughs> to get it get it done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but poop out a generic slasher film. Yeah. <laughs> Don't crap this out. I mean, this is this is diarrhea. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh. Okay, the sequence where, see, Michael walking across the country also doesn't really fit in for victims, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we have that ridiculous sequence where he runs into those three people and he's on their land. Yeah. Where he kills the three of them and then they have him kill the dog and it's just like, it's just done with no subtlety. I'm not against, like, I... The idea of him, Michael killing an animal, a dog, it does actually have a bit of weight. Yeah, it's been done a few times. Now. And it's been done when they do it with a bit of subtlety. Yeah. Even Halloween 4 did it with a bit more subtlety. Yeah. I mean, I love the way they did it in the first film because it was just fleetingly glimpsed that he silenced the dog mm-hmm. by killing it. Yeah. But we didn't see it. This decides to... Let the dog out. We see a little bit of subtlety, and the next thing you know, we're back at his shack, carving the dog up and eating its heart. And I mean, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> uh, I must say, when I, when I kept seeing Michael's walk, walking through the fields too, I half expected him to score it with a bit of "I've been everywhere, man." Fucking <laughs> through all those fields. Like, we saw him walking a fair distance. <laughs> I mean, surely he's. Got a cramp somewhere <laughs> along the way. Yeah, or he's got to change his shoes or something. He's got or he's chafing. Yeah. He would have been chafing big time. Yeah, Michael dealing with jockage probably. <laughs> he's got something going <laughs> well, on there. I mean, we came close to getting that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He showed us everything else. Yeah, that's right. Oh, God. I mean, there's so many things I can talk about here. <laughs> I was going to mention the strip bar scene. Yeah. Like just it encompasses what I just what I don't like about the Rob Zombie Halloween films. Like why do we need to spend time with those three? I I don't I didn't time it, but it just feels like about five minutes just with those three people. It's probably less than that. Yeah. But it feels like about five minutes just with those three people talking about stuff that has no no consequence to anything just to have them killed. And brutally. Yeah. Like, when he catches up to that stripper, and I don't know how he does, because he doesn't move with a lot of pepper, but he then just bashes her and bashes her and bashes her against the wall. Uh, Again, I was just sitting there going, just make it stop. Yeah. Like, make it stop. 
Yeah, that's right. And I come back to what we said before. What are you trying to achieve by showing us this? What's your what's the what's the reasoning behind this? And it's definitely not shock value. It's not even that gory. No, that one that one wasn't. He just kind of throws her away and there are some of them where it's just like, well, it's not shock value, it's not suspense. It's got no gore, then what is it? Mm. I still can't answer that question. <laughs> after after talking through it, I'm still I'm still coming up blank. I've got a, another minor one with Loomis. We do go on, you know, go back to the classics and continue referring to the blackest eyes. But yeah. We take the opportunity to fucking look at his eyes every chance we get and we see his eyes are, you know, they're not black. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, once we once we get past all the hair on his face, we see his eyes quite clearly. And so it's kind of a yeah. little thing, but it's like that, that whole mystique is just, again, trampled all over. So why do you even bother with the blackest eyes line? Yeah. I mean, see... Zombie, he, he kind of spoiled the mystique in the in the 2007 one, but sort of partially recovered by getting that second half being like the original film, mm. right? Yeah. So it kind of not not fully recovers, but it, it it kind of we forget about his childhood and we get down to Michael doing his thing. Yeah. You know, in the street. This, I mean, we're one step away from. Seeing him on the toilet, <laughs> you know, like all the barriers are kind of knocked down. We see him doing, wandering around, and you know, he hasn't shaved, and he looks like a hobo, and you know, like we kind of see him on the road again. Yeah, you've just you've just ruined the mystique. Yeah, completely. And, and I'm assuming Zombie's trying to ruin the mistake. But this is the thing, and I said it about the first one too. He made this whole song and dance about, you know, his new vision and it was separating itself from the original, but then you, you can't do that completely. Again, it's inviting the comparison. It's continuing to talk about the same things that Loomis talked about in the original, but then showing none of it with, the, with Michael. That's why it's kind of a small thing to mention that blackest eyes thing, but it just it happens with the whole character essentially. Yeah, I tell you why I feel for poor old Daniel Harris is to have to go through the indignity of being found in a in the nude, covered in blood again. Yeah, yeah, we do it to her again. Yeah, even though she's one of the few people in the film that you kind of like, I can get behind that. And then they try and kind of add some weight to her death, and they almost get away with it, Jared, because almost. Brad Dourif's a, a, a really good actor. Yes. He kind of drags you in there for a second. That was one of the few relationships you actually gave a shit about. But then they throw in some cheap gimmicks of video footage of a young Danielle Harris. And I was just like, well, you know, you, you almost had me there, Rob, and then you throw in a bit of that cheap shit and I'm I'm back out of it. Yeah. I mean, he's des- he was desperately trying to give it weight, but there isn't any when 
he does things like that. That's right. And I feel the other thing too is like it came not too far after Laurie had just fucking hurled abuse at Annie and started carrying on in another one of her meltdowns. And we got, again, one of the few moments where this whole PTSD and this this trauma thing could have worked because Annie had been through it too and she fucking bites back and sort of kind of says, you know, you're not, you're not the only one. Yeah. And so then I, I feel like we could have had a, I don't know, it felt like Annie almost, this is why I said Annie felt like she almost had more weight than Laurie. You kind of sympathise with her and, and say, look, she's trying to fucking deal with her own shit, but Laurie is in such a state that she's trying to trying her best to, to work through that as well. But then, yeah, you know, you go and continue it on. You, you have to do you have to do that to one of the kind of the beloved actors in the series. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, thanks, thanks again, Rob. Yeah, like it's like it just feels like it, she just had to be treated like shit again. Yeah, and like you said, it was the one time it felt like we might have had some weight, but it just it just dropped it completely. And looking back, it's almost because you didn't give it to me anywhere else. So I finished the movie going, well, why the fuck did we have to lose Annie too? Because nothing else worked out. Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to his nihilistic vision for this. Yeah. That everything sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The world is a shit place. Mm. And he's not necessarily completely wrong, but there are kind of some good things as well. <laughs> but, but there are levels, mate. Yeah, that's right. Are they all scum? Obviously. That's what I get yeah. from this. Yeah. Is that everyone in the surrounding township is scum, a scumbag. Yeah. Well. And Michael's just killing them for... Because they deserve it or something. Yeah. And it probably comes from seeing his other movies as well. It's just you, you just can't separate any of these characters. I mean, you've got, a, you've got a fucking psychologist who is dealing, supposedly dealing with mental illness and, and, and trying to, to help people through this who comes across as the biggest asshole in the movie, which I think says a lot about his view of the world. Yeah. People don't always do that shit just for the money, Rob. But he wasn't like that at all in the first film. No. So he was kind of more pitched in the in the vein of Donald Pleasance's Sam Loomis. Yeah, but we couldn't we couldn't stick with that. And also mixed with a little bit of Robert Plant when he had that ridiculous <laughs> fucking hairdo. At the start. God, we could go on for hours about how nasty some of these characters are, but I mean, there was one particular sequence I just wanted to point out that when she finds out that she's Michael's sister, she's just sitting in the car screaming and swearing and punching things and I'm just like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah, you know <laughs> the what? The revelation is just so late in the piece too. But, th- th- but this is the thing. That's, this is the, the groundwork hasn't been laid. There hasn't been any sort of... You can't see Laurie doing any fucking soul searching or healing prior to that. The outburst might have worked. The the, the reaction to that news might have worked if if there was some sort of fucking, as you said, levels or layers to her her dealing with it. But it's 
on that level the whole fucking time. Yeah. The finale, mate, it's just a disaster. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to one way to, to It doesn't say it. Well, everything just converges on this shack in the middle of the bloody woods, right? Well, maybe everyone was and hungry for a slice of dog. <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, but also it brings Loomis back by artificial means. You know, it brings him back to the into the fore. This is the first connection he's had to anybody else in, in involved in that. He has not spoken to Annie, Sheriff Brackett, Laurie, anybody. Yep. For nigh on to almost two hours. And then he suddenly gets a conscience and drives back to the to the big showdown? Yeah. That is just so ridiculous. As I said to you, he turns up, says, I'll sort it out, and then fucking proceeds to set the ball rolling for fucking worst case scenario. <laughs> Everybody dies. I mean, if Loomis doesn't turn yeah, up, Loomis doesn't die. <laughs> At least we saved one. <laughs> he, he immediately enters the scene and knocks everything over <laughs> as he wanders yeah. in. Ah. <laughs> oh. Like when it's I, just I couldn't believe it where they're all just kind of laying in a pile and I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> Why? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> They've all been shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could have done that without you, Sam. Thanks for your help, anyway. But we'll pass. <laughs> Honestly, you might as well have just put him in front of a firing squad. <laughs> Yeah. He's giving him a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But the problem with it too is, and I keep thinking back to how perhaps this could have all come together a little bit more, but the whole idea, if you wanted to still run the angle that Laurie was Michael's sister and he was taking her there because he was going to finish the job, which is what they were going for, mm. but also, I mean, he speaks once in the movie. He says to Loomis, die. Yeah. But so would I, I would have thought that <laughs> <laughs> you're a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically, yes. But I also thought maybe with him speaking, he may have said something to Laurie. Yeah. Because of the whole thing that they set up in the first movie about Like when Laurie turns up, he boo. might start saying, Night's in, white Saturn, or some shit <laughs> like that, and fucking enact her visions or something. I don't know. <laughs> And also the finale's got that ridiculous sequence where Loomis walks into the Well, doesn't walk, he kinda of bumbles into the <laughs> into the shack. And Laurie's on the ground and it, she's supposedly being held down by Laura, um Michael's mum and young Michael. Yeah. And then it cuts away from the vision and she's just writhing around. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, oh man, we've jumped the shark big time here. Yep. <sighs> yeah. Again. It was just so funny. Like again, she, I got a, like she's being held by imaginary hands. I got a semblance of of what he was going for, especially tying in with the kind of little the the ending we got of her in the in the the sort of ward 
or whatever she was in, that, you know, his kind of demons were being sort of passed on to her. But as you said, it was fits of laughter when that came along. Yeah. And then, of course, we get Animal. Loomis bumbling in, go, you know, I'll save the day. And oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Everything just falls in a falls in a heap. Yeah, he says to Bracket, "Listen, I can handle this. What we'll end up doing is we'll all be in one pile." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is all over. Oh, look, look, shoot me, shoot him, and then you know, if you've got an itchy trigger finger, you may as well shoot her too. That'll sort it out. <laughs> Uh, and look, my final dislike is, and you mentioned it before with her, her sort of in this, in a in a mental hospital at the end. But I just I find it so hard to stomach that one of the best protagonists in, in horror or slasher cinema, which is Laurie Strode, ends the film sitting in a mental hospital watching as a white horse is brought down towards her. <laughs> I mean. That's that is just the indignity of having done that to that character. <laughs> yeah, and I mean she she'd been um, pretty poorly handled in in a similar circumstance in Halloween Resurrection already, but I yeah. think I'd prefer that than this. <laughs> yeah, because this this is really a, a difficult way to finish that character. Yeah, a, a way that's not it's just. And no, I came. I said this before, and I know that you know. I agree with you. Zombie was trying to go, you know, zig instead of zag on these characters, but the fact that Laurie Strode does nothing to to take on her attacker does nothing to showcase herself as the protagonist of this film. Mm. It's just, it's, it's, it's shockingly. It's kind of, it's, it's a poor choice. Because we all, as horror fans, we all know Laurie Strode as this tough character. Mm. And you just shit that away. Yeah, see, look, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the word tough, for example. I I didn't necessarily have a problem with trying to go away from that a little bit, like that she's reluctant about it all. But Mm. I agree with you that that there's still this sort of expectation that, that... There'll be a challenge, or he'll he'll represent some form of challenge for her that that she'll have to overcome. She'll rise up to. Yeah, yeah. Agreed that they could they could veer away from it, but they don't even bring it back. Yeah, the only thing he was going to challenge at the end of the film was a fucking beard trimmer, I think. Yeah, yeah. He needed to get down to fucking Tommy Gunn. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But get chopped up. But the fact is, she does nothing to help herself. In the finale, she, yeah. she is just a a, a spectator. Mm. You know, a spectator is writhing around on the ground, <laughs> but she's still just a spectator. It's kind of jiggling like the bloody uh, Enchantress in Suicide Squad, <laughs> except on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, to me, the finale is so weak because of that. Yeah. And it's because just it, the you finale. Know, you, I think there was a lot well, of other stuff that was weak because of that too. I guess yes, they were trying to go away from it because they were going, they were having her being almost possessed, mm. so to speak. Yeah, because that's why she turns on the coppers and they have to shoot her. You know, so just uh, look, that's all I've got. 
I mean, I can go on for hours with this because it's so... It's There's so much there that I was less than enthused about. Yes. But have you got anything else? No, there? no. I, I'll, I won't prolong your misery any further. All right. Well, that's Halloween 2. 2009's Halloween 2. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podomatic. Send us an email at thrillme at iinet.net.au. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia and at Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. Mm-hmm. Please remember to rate and review us uh, on all those platforms. We're also on Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. Keep an eye on the Facebook page for our next episode and a happy Halloween to everybody. Um, but until the next episode, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.